When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, it's me, Cindy Adams, same Cindy Adams, Madam Adams, who harangues you in my column Monday through Thursday, four times a week, every week in the New York Post. You're stuck with me, and I'm on the air every Sunday on WABC, one to two. Listen, this time of year, not that you might care, but it would have been my anniversary I'd have gotten married, don't ask me when, but it was it was about when Lincoln grew his first beard. He is gone now. I don't mean Lincoln. I mean my husband. I am not looking for another husband, not even one who even <laughs> temporarily belongs to another wife. I do not need another bedmate. It's just like I'm sort of I'm sort of thinking maybe a husband is nice a reasonably nice thing to have around, but like for always, for 24-7, when you're looking lousy, when you just developed a big zit on your chin. The thing is, I have made a discovery. We are now a replaceable society. We have gotten fake nails, fake lashes, fake hair, fake teeth, fake boobs, fake behinds, fake cheeks, in some cases, fake news, and in many cases, fake whatever works. Instead of cooking, it's takeout. Instead of driving, it's Uber. Instead of a person, it's a robot. How about instead of an office, a computer? Instead of a home, it's a share. Instead of a book, it's a Kindle. Instead of writing, how about a computer? Instead of hair, a wig. Instead of teeth, it's an implant. Instead of a limo, it's a bike. Instead of a camera, it's a phone. Instead of a leader, uh, it's Biden. Instead of mink, it's fake fur. Instead of having to bitch and kvetch all the time, instead of having to feed the husband or his dim brother, who's always looking to borrow money, why don't we just create something called rent a husband? I don't I don't expect a Nobel Prize or anything for my brilliant idea. I just thought I'd share it with you. It's no need to have me knighted or anything. But another possibility, maybe, if you're not getting out much these days, and so many of us are stuck home with the pandemic, and so many of us are actually lonely, and you need something, get a dog. They're just like a husband. They have to learn to obey. They have to learn to take orders and not want seconds or thirds and no barking. You also have to let him or it get out once in a while, just like a husband. And if you're smart, you have to keep it or him on a long leash. And believe me, whichever one you pick out, you also have to give them both 
toilet training. Listen, if you do want something warm in your bed, try my Yorkie. Jelly Bean is five pounds, and he already has a trainer, a groomer, a walker, a routine, a license, a vet, a collar, a leash, a diet, a sweater, a raincoat, boots, and his own pillow. In the olden days, before we had all of these replaceable things that I explained a minute ago, nobody had them. Nobody had money either. 1915, a manicure was under a quarter, and the manicurist kept the change. A man earned $687 a year. In 1920, a car was $500. Gas, which today comes to like five bucks a gallon, in 1915, it was 12 cents a gallon. A New York City apartment. Ready? $60 a month. Air conditioning was a broken window. 1920, a bargain pound of steak, 26 cents. Milk, 9 cents. Bagels, with or without a schmear. This I don't know. But a plain, lousy bagel, 6 cents. Woman's shoes, $7. For a man, $3. A movie theater, back when we had those, was 15 cents. And it was a double feature, and they gave away dishes. Entertainment's high life was a radio, $35. Couples night out at a diner, 70 cents. Remember when we had a post office and we really mailed things? A first-class stamp was two cents. Life insurance, a buck a month. 1919, one century ago, was summarized as the worst year in 20th century American history. Maybe it'll change and we will become the worst. But then, 1919 was the worst. It got us, however, the rotary dial telephone and Hotel Pennsylvania, which was across the street from the train. It was the world's most popular hotel. Plus, we had a revolution. We had terrorism. We had race riots, like we're not having them now. We had the flu pandemic, like we're not having a pandemic now. We had workers on strike, which we're not having now. We had progressives pushing, like it's not happening now. We had citizens feeling alienated from the government, bombings in the first wave of U.S. anarchy. Hey, that was a century ago. It's happening now. President Woodrow Wilson at the time said, I predict with absolute certainty that within another year, another generation, we will have another world war. Now, since I've done a little snippet of politics, I just want to add one little political thing. This is my message to our pretend New York City mayor. If you ever finally did something, anything great for us, if you stayed off TV long enough to locate City Hall, if you actually accomplished something besides making 
speeches and welcoming Big Pig Bragg, our DA, we'd praise you instead of lousing you up. So, Mayor, stop bitching about the press. Okay, now, before I get to my guest, who's the famous TV face, Dr. Oz, Dr. Mehmet Oz, before I get to him, I now have one other issue to take up with you. Putin. This week's headlines, all over the news, TV, radio, newspapers, all over the world, even scratched in chalk on the sidewalk, pay attention, was that exactly one day after the Olympics ended, it was Putin invading the Ukraine. The point here is, my New York Post column told the world this would happen for an exact fact. I said it would happen exactly, precisely, one day after the Olympics. Why? It was timed so that Putin would not ruffle China's feelings. I knew that, and I kindly note now I was dead on correct. Exactly, precisely, one day after is when he invaded. So how did I know? I didn't guess. I knew. I knew for an absolute fact. So I think maybe when Biden next gets up from his nap, he should contact me for intel. And now we are going to a station break. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Okay, now my guest, and I love having him, Dr. Mehmet Oz. A dozen or so years ago, Dr. Mehmet Oz served me lunch. It was in his studio. Forget pastrami. Shove an egg and mayonnaise sandwich on white. It was almonds, wet walnuts, Inca peanuts, flavonoid, logged, dark chocolate, dried apricots, flat water with lemon. We are not talking McDonald's here, but we are talking TV star, who even had his own magazine, Dr. Mehmet Oz, whom we all know, whom we all love, who is now running for the Republican job of senator in Pennsylvania. Okay, Mehmet, first question, why? Well, I decided to enter the Pennsylvania Senate race after watching Washington get it wrong one too many times. And I think there are a lot of folks listening who may agree uh, at different levels that we could have done better with COVID. COVID, rather, we made mistakes with uh, well, how we managed Russia with the Ukraine. We're witnessing that live. Uh, we've had errors in how we've managed what parents expect their kids to be taught in school. Uh, mistakes at the border, which is porous uh, and led to uh, problems with a false narrative, which is, you know, unfortunately, that it really is about a cartel-run human trafficking operation. When all this happened, and especially COVID, which I had a lot of experience with, uh, it catalyzed me. I mean, one too many days wondering why we're in crisis, why aren't we doing better? You start to say, well, I have an obligation to this country that I love dearly to step up and be counted and do my best to fix the problems. Okay. When I visited your home, it was in New Jersey. Why Pennsylvania? Well, I'm from Pennsylvania originally, grew up just south of 
Philadelphia in a place called Kennett Square, about 10 miles south of there. And Kennett Square is the mushroom capital of the world. And just as an aside, my father would always say, don't be treated like a mushroom, which is specifically don't be kept in the dark and fed manure all day, which is what many of us felt happened over the last year. Who, and my who, wife's family. Who the hell the, knew it was the mushroom capital? It never comes up. Mushroom campus. Well, if you're from Philadelphia, you know that. Okay. So, okay. Uh, I also went to med school at Penn, business school at Wharton, did the best thing of my whole life, which is to meet and marry my wife, actually in the house we live in now. And her family's been down there for 130 years. So we moved back a couple of years ago. Uh, it's a beautiful state um, that uh, whose values I, I feel strongly are within me as well. And it's the right state for me to run for public office. So what sort of state politically is Pennsylvania? Is it left? Is it right? What is it? Well, part of the reason I love Pennsylvania is it's right in the middle. It's got a very conservative middle area. Uh, James Carville famously said it was basically Philadelphia, Pittsburgh with Alabama in between. And <laughs> it is a, a, a rural area. There's lots of natural gas, which is an important issue we'll talk about because it's one of the ways we'll deal with, with Russia, but also inflation domestically. And people, uh, even the people serving you food, the diners know that there's tremendous amounts of resources beneath the soil. Uh, enough to power this entire country for hundreds of years. And it's actually energy that's very clean, natural gas. So these are the kinds of insights folks have. But in the cities, you have Philadelphia, very much like New York City, uh, a large urban metropolis, which has got a crime which is completely out of control. 561 murders last year, the most ever um, in oh, Philadelphia in its entire history. And then we have Pittsburgh, which is a Midwestern city. So in between there, you get this purple state where the people who are elected generally have to appeal to the other side of the aisle in order to get elected. Okay. First, a little background. I mean, your father, I know, is from Anatolia, and you were born in Turkey. There was no money. Tell me about coming here. Tell me what it was like to get here. Actually, I was born in this country. My father had just come over. He was recruited by the United States because we needed more doctors. Um, he uh, married my mom, brought her over. Uh, I was born here in 1960 and uh, spent my entire childhood uh, educated in this country and uh, spent uh, some of my summers in Turkey. So I understood the culture, would visit our family there, uh, went to college and med school uh, here and settled in, in uh, New Jersey in part because we could go home to Philadelphia on the weekends. But in the weekdays, I worked in New York City, uh, both at Columbia University, where uh, I was on the faculty. I still am, uh, and where uh, I could also tape my TV show. Uh, and as you know, you know, if you're going to tape a daytime syndicated television show, you want to be in a big city that has lots of guests potentially flowing through that can come to you and others. Um, and it, it, I think it also allowed me to tap into the creative juices of New York. Don't you revisit your family in Turkey yearly? Oh yes, I go back. My mom, my mom, my father. I lost uh, two years ago. Yeah, my I my mom has Alzheimer's, which is unfortunate, uh, is a horrible ailment that 6 million Americans have and 16 million people like me take care of those 6 million. And, and you lose your, your loved ones twice, once when they forget who you are and once when you actually lose them. And my mom still remembers me, but it's getting more difficult. We talk almost daily and I visit her because if you don't actually sit next to a person with Alzheimer's, it's much more difficult to connect with them. Listen, there's nothing you can tell me about that because I lost my mother to that and she didn't know who I was and I lost my husband to that. It's something with which I am very familiar. Tell me in Turkey when you go back, what do they say about America? Turks love America. They admire 
uh, our country tremendously, like my father did. He was the biggest patriot you could imagine because he saw the challenges of a thriving democracy that could create um, a capitalistic uh, uh, and, you know, economy that worked. And countries all over the world, not just in Turkey, admire us tremendously for this. You know, seeing my show, which has been the top health show in the world now for 13 years, is aired in has been aired in 100 countries. So I travel a lot. And when I travel to these countries, including Turkey, they'll say, please make sure you take care of America. And I'll say, well, I love America, but why do you care so much? And they'll say, when we sit in our homes and are fighting with each other, we don't think democracy can work. But then someone says, wait a minute, guys, go look over there. America, that shining city on the hill, they figured it out. They're still thriving. Why can't we be like them? And because it exists on Earth, a country like America, that's a, a lodestar, North Star, they can actually signal people where to head. It calms them because they know it's possible. If we lose the beautiful, thriving democracy that we have inherited from our parents, then now China and Russia become alternative ways of governing people. And China in particular is my big concern because they say, hey, listen, we're a totalitarian, authoritarian regime, but you know, we're better than America. We can beat them. Watch. And now they're trying to do just that. And if we allow them to, to, to succeed, That'll be the other option, plan B, for much of the earth. Nothing is better than America anywhere on this earth. What do you think? What do you know of the political machine? What the hell do you know? And how do you work your way through it? It's a whole new kind of concept for you. Well, I'm in the change business. I always have been, as you are. So to be in the change business, whether you're a teacher at a university or you're on television, you're out there trying to get people to see the world and they're rolling it differently. And so I've actually been in lots of battles. You know, I'm a bit of a porcupine, so I've taken on big tech uh, for a bunch of reasons that people will respect, including the fact that they were supporting child pornography inadvertently because they didn't think that they were anything but a fax machine, which is legally how they're seen. And I say, no, they're not fax machines. That was true 25 years ago. But today, they're actually manipulating information and people, and we need to be able to protect ourselves. I took on big pharma companies when I thought they weren't treating us correctly, whether it's pricing or not mentioning side effects. I took on big agrochemical companies because they wouldn't own up the potential risks. And I took on the U.S. government in one of the biggest battles at all, uh, including the big arsenic and apple juice story, where, which we broke on television and fought for months until the government finally acknowledged that we were right. Now, all of this I bring up because I've actually been fighting in the biggest theater there is, which is on network uh, and, the, and the airwaves. And in government, that's what you're doing. You're saying, guys, we got this wrong. We need to fix it. You can okay. take any okay. example, but COVID was a good one, and we could have done better. There weren't enough voices that understood what was really happening until it was too late. Tell me about your wife, your kids, your family. They all support this new career switch. I know it's great. I know it's wonderful. I know all of that. But this is a very large change in your life. What do they say? Well, it's like going through the seven stages of, of, of grief. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the initially, yeah, okay. thinking, is this really possible? Is it going to happen? Over time, each member of the family made peace with the fact that we were going to dramatically change our lives and how people saw us. And, of course, the kids who I wanted to protect, uh, I never thought of, about entering politics until they were fully grown. My youngest uh, child, Oliver, just entered a medical school in the fall, which gave me permission. I actually believed that he would be biased against if he applied to school while his father was campaigning, because these campaigns can be ugly, Cindy, as you know, and people say things about you often untrue, usually untrue, that uh, are done to, to win the race, but your, your family gets stained by it. So we made sure that the kids could actually cope with this. And my wife was the real uh, uh, powerhouse. She, 
she's a strong woman, always has been, and she's the rock of Gibraltar that we built everything in our whole lives on. And she was the one that needed to get comfortable. And she felt, like me, very much that we owed an obligation to our country. After all the success we've had, for us just to sit on the beach and enjoy life into the sunset and not stick up to protect our country. Or so what, what would you do? What would you do if it was up to you? What would you do with a lousy Fauci or a, a, a Biden who doesn't know he's there or a Pelosi whom I can't bear? What would you do with those people? Well, I immersed myself for the last couple of years in policy, just to be able to answer that question. And to be clear, surgeons don't lollygag into the operating room. We do our homework. We're very meticulous about it. So first off, if public health has completely been decimated, Dr. Fauci, I think, should retire. Uh, he served this country, but he has failed us during COVID. And I've asked him to, to challenge him to a debate just to be able to tease this out. But in any case, he needs to move on. And others as well, by the way. The mismanagement has been so great that we need to revisit how public health is administered. Here's the fundamental problem. The ideology, especially of the far left, is a top-down approach. I know this because the New York Times, which writes about me all the time in a negative way, attacked me recently, not just the usual ad hominem attacks. I know, I know. But they they attacked me by saying that I'm dangerous because they say I believe in individualism. And they said in a time of structural racism, systemic racism, global warming, and COVID, you can't have individualism. You need collectivism. I say no. We need individualism. That's our path towards fixing those problems and many more. So I believe in... In health, we need two things. You need your own doctor, which is the smartest and most cost-efficient thing in the system, and transparency about what's really happening. And you have to be able to say what you see. So in healthcare and COVID, you can't – just recently, Homeland Security said if you are involved with COVID misinformation, they define what that is, you're a domestic terrorist threat. I mean, come on. If I put my hands up and say I've got a better idea that should be examined, I shouldn't go to jail for that. Communist countries do that. Okay, listen. You are running well in the polls. But just what if, I mean, what happens to your TV show, your magazine, your career? What, I mean, I've been in your gorgeous house in New Jersey. What happens to all of that that you'd built up before? What happens to your show? When I decide to enter politics, I burn the boats. I decided I would end the show. I would end the magazine. I would turn off businesses that we had started. Uh, These are very lucrative efforts, and I enjoy them. We have long-term contracts, but I don't think you can serve America and serve any other master. So I took care of my teams financially, but we shut them all down, and I am 100% focused on being involved in fixing this country. And I will do it in every way way possible, and I urge everybody else out there to consider what they're doing right now and see if they can put their hands up and be more involved. So DrOz.com is the website. But even if you don't get involved through me, find your way of chipping in, not, not just financially, but intellectually, in terms of conversations you're having. Let's start talking about the real issues we're facing. Don't just talk about how bad the other side is. Fix the problem. Okay, you, you have spoken at certain town halls in Pennsylvania. Give me a for instance. I know you did one. I, you told me about it the other day. And, and the people got up and they, 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 made, they asked questions. What do they ask of you? Well, these are very large town hall meetings, much larger than ever occurs in regular primary events. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people. I was in Old Ford, which is a coal mining town near where Joe Biden's from. I've, I've, I've been on the, out by Pittsburgh in the coal mining towns, in Philadelphia in the suburbs, uh, which are very much like New York suburbs. So essentially what happens is I, I give a little spiel about why I'm so passionate and what I'm going to do to fix America. And then people get up and start poking holes in it. And I want people to come who are skeptical. These are not pep rallies. 
These are skeptical people who want to understand what am I doing? I mean, they know who I am, right? 96% of people know exactly who I am. But what do I stand for? And how do I get them comfortable that I'll fight for them on the issues that they care about? So they'll say, you know, sh- share your insights about well, you know, what you should do in Russia right now. Or what specifically would you do if you, if, about COVID to fix it like you asked me? Or precise questions about how do we deal with kids and what they're being taught in school and why they're not doing well in math and science. Yet they're exposed to critical race theory and, and all kinds of, of values that may not be reflected in what their parents think are important. What do you actually do to fix those things? And what, where do I come down on them? Once okay, people okay, hear okay. the discussion, they get animated, they get excited. Okay, before you get elected, they're going to throw me the hell off this show. I have one more <laughs> question that I want to ask. Yes. Can you live on a senator's salary? I fully intend to give back my <laughs> salary and not take it. I, I, it truly is. I, I, look, I've been blessed financially. I'm putting more than $10 million of my own money in this campaign already. Uh, I, I, the money is not the issue for me. It's making sure that my values align with my, my voters so I can serve them well. I intend to donate my salary back. I love you. I love you, Dr. Mehmet Oz. I love you, and I'll speak to you later. Thank you, sweetheart. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks Bye. for being the talented broadcaster you are. God bless. <laughs> Goodbye. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. So listen, it's either goofs or gaffs or goo. Sooner or later, every human being somehow steps in gunk. There's always going back. Lindsay Lohan, remember her? I knew her when she was 16. She became so busy with her burgeoning career that she somehow accidentally exited a jewelry shop while wearing one of its necklaces. Remember that? Billy Bush, we know about He was making fun with Donald Trump. Donald Trump stayed. Billy Bush went. Martha Stewart, we read about, did a little time in the can. Tim Allen, drugs. Snoop Dogg, drugs. Hey, there's no business like snow business. Tupac Shakur, he had a gig of 30 days in the can. Lil' Kim was sentenced to 10 months for a little grand jury dust-up some little something about remembering the truth. Flavor, Flav, 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 whatever his name is. I never met him. Attempted murder charge. Forever awful, hideous, disgusting O.J., whom I covered, whom I knew, whom I think should be killed. He remains forever awful, hideous, and disgusting. Bill Cosby, ah, Oh, nice little Grandpa Bill Cosby. He spent a little time behind bars. Cardi B is having her own ugly legal aggravations. Always in some difficulty, Cuba Goodings not always doing gooding. And a backaways, there was TV's Robert Blake, who seems to have possibly, we're not sure how, shot his wife. That is so rude. Wesley Snipes' problem was arithmetic. Taxes. Robert Downey Jr., drugs. Bad boy Tommy Lee, he got a smacking for whacking then-wife Pamela Anderson. Shakira found herself in a courtroom in Spain on account of a little dust-up relative to a little fraud charge. And... In 2018, Heather Locklear in Ventura County 
she pled guilty to an alphabet of no-nos, one being battery and two obstructing a police officer. Hollywood going to hell started in the 20s with its first million-dollar movie star. He was a silent comedy star, Fatty Roscoe Arbuckle. He was born at 16 pounds. He added weight from then on. At a bootleg booze-soused party, an actress somehow got dead. He then was tried three times, first-degree murder. The charges were eventually reduced to manslaughter. But definitely no longer alive was his career. How about lousy, embarrassing moments? Jennifer Lawrence tripping up the stairs to collect her Oscar? Or Super Bowl halftime when Janet Jackson's right boob got a TV close-up due to Justin Timberlake somehow uncovering it? Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty shoving the wrong Academy Award Best Picture to the wrong picture? Goldie Hawn told people she tinkled on stage years ago at a summer stock production while she was on stage. Carmen Miranda, no, Carmen Electra, everybody's named Carmen. A waitress I know was named Carmen. Carmen Electra told the Miami Herald she too wet herself at an ice skating rink. The elder President George Bush in Tokyo, whoopsing right onto the Japanese Prime Minister. Hugh Jackman in romantic comedy, Someone Like You. It was a bedroom scene. He's in underwear. He's wearing shorts. A button somehow loosened. Something somehow peeked out. And co-star Ashley Judd then murmured, It was two takes before when I finally noticed it. What she was doing for the first two takes, this I don't know. One year, Meryl Streep, who has grabbed 21 nominations and a crate load of wins, she left her winning golden statue standing all by itself, alone, unloved, unprotected, when she let herself out of the ladies' room but forgot to take it with her. John Travolta presenting Idina Menzel's trophy, but mangling her name, which somehow came out as Adele Dazim. Ah, who the hell knows how this happened? And on a red carpet, Zac Efron actually stuck his hand in his pocket and inadvertently pulled out a condom. Mike Tyson jumping on his daughter's hoverboard, only to accidentally, ungracefully, flop off. Madonna, dancing, singing, cavorting on stage, when a backup dancer pulled back 
her cape, but with such strength that the thing fell down, <laughs> and so did she. Shia LaBeouf, how about him drunk? Or President James Madison, that was a while back, stating for the world to hear, quote, France is dumb. Listen, junk happens to us all. 1953, long before New York City christened LaGuardia Airport, there was Fiorello LaGuardia. His honor, the little flower, was on the radio. He was then going to read the comics because there was some problem about newspapers. They were on strike. And he said he's going to read the comics. The only thing is, he'd forgotten to bring the comics. Okay? Now I'm going to tell you something about warm weather coming. And the sipping is easy, thanks to drugstores. Dr. Pepper, not invented by a doctor, by a pharmacist in Waco in the late 1800s. Instead of prescriptions, Charlie was busy mixing 23 flavors. And he said, this actually tastes like the store smells. It is now Snapple. Pepsi, invented by yet another pharmacist in Nowheresville, Chinkapin, North Carolina, wherever the hell that is. It was also the late 1800s. Caleb Bradham brewed it at the soda fountain of his store. And from another dude, he bought the name Pep Cola, and the thing graduated to Pepsi-Cola. Root beer? 1919. Charles Elmer Hires got the formula from yet another pharmacist. Ingredients came from the root bark of a sassafras tree. The thing debuted in Philadelphia, which gave everyone something else to see besides that cracked Liberty Bell. Coca-Cola, yet another pharmacist. Dr. John Stith Pemberton was looking to cure his addiction habit, so he created the syrup in Atlanta, and until 1905, this recipe contained morphine. It was a huge hit, and no wonder you'd get both a drink and a drug for five cents a shot. Seven up. 1929, Charles Grigg found a way to get the hell out of Price's Branch, Missouri. Well, wouldn't everyone? He created something called Bib Label Lithuated Lemon Lime Soda. He eventually thought the name might be too long. So Bib Label Lithuated Lemon Lime Soda then became plain old 7-Up. Okay, now we're going to get to a station break, mostly because you're probably just tired of me, and then I will be back again. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, it's me. I'm back again. I just want to tell you I've done a lot of research because I had nothing else to do, and I have discovered that acting is really not glamorous. 
many of our big stars started way at the bottom. Hugh Grant said, I cleaned toilets when I started. It was at IBM in London, and I was good at it. How do you be bad at it? I'm mean, how can you be bad at it? Nothing, he says, I don't know about cleaning a loo. I can get crystalline urine out. I didn't even know what that was. He said, I might have even been happier in those days, and maybe one day I'll go back to it. Chris Rock says, I'm one of the most privileged people on earth, but my father's aversion of America is one of the most unprivileged. The horse Seabiscuit had a better life than my grandfather. They're both Americans, so America is whatever you want to make it. It's been tough for us all to make it. Steve Buscemi, quote, At 18, I was a Valley Stream movie usher, and 40 times I had to sit through Al Pacino's movie Dog Day Afternoon. He said, Once I actually saw the entire whole thing from beginning to end. Al Pacino, he cleaned powder rooms when he began. Nicole Kidman, her beginning was similar. Some stars went to the dogs. Sandra Bullock was an animal beautician. Cindy Lauper, a kennel cleaner. Once a grocery store clerk, Michelle Pfeiffer says, I even learned how to take stems off maraschino cherries. Is it pronounced maraschino or maraschino? I still don't know. But anyway, she took the stems off those cherries. Willem Dafoe says, As a team, I bound Penthouse and Hustler magazines in a Midwestern factory. I never once looked at those erotic pictures. That's what he says. He also says, For me, it could have been National Geographic or Popular Mechanics. Yeah, sure. Gloria Estefan, customs interpreter at Miami International Airport. She told the Daily Mail in London, quote, I once caught a nun trying to smuggle contraband salami. <laughs> Paul Rudd DJed bar mitzvahs. John Malkovich was a school bus driver. Ozzy Osbourne worked in a slaughterhouse. Graydon Carter, who was the editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair, he was a railroad lineman. James Brown shined shoes outside Augusta, Georgia's station, WRDW. Then he bought that whole radio station. New York City zoo attendant Sly Stallone. He quit after a lion's share of pee reached him. Why he got that close to the lion in the first place, this I don't know. Kelsey Grammer was a dishwasher at Denny's. Ashton Kutcher was a factory sweeper at General Mills. Sinead O'Connor was a kiss-o-gram girl in Dublin. Juliana Margulies, she packed dead people's belongings. Lucy Lawless, a gold miner in Australia's outback. 
Tay Diggs, a $100 a week pizzeria worker, then clad in bananas singing Deo in Tokyo Disneyland. Eh, none of them had it easy. They all started from nothing like all of us did. Cameron Mannheim was a deaf interpreter in a hospital delivery room. Harrison Ford, a carpenter. He actually built a studio for composer Sergio Mendez. Wolf Blitzer, before he kept opening his mouth on CNN, he drove a cab in Buffalo. He once said, Gee, I didn't know what to do when they wouldn't pay me. Warren Beatty, at 17, caught mice in D.C.'s National Theater Alley, exactly as Helen Hayes was playing The Skin of Our Teeth on stage. David Duchovny was a New York lifeguard at age 14, and he says, It was mortifying at that age to make mature women cover up. That's what he had to go and do and tell them to cover up. Woody Harrelson was fired, he says, 17 times in one year. Javier Bardem played rugby, and after playing rugby, he then was a bouncer, a writer, a construction worker, and a stripper. Alfred Woodward was a gift wrapper, and then she became a perfume spritzer at Penny's, and then she worked as a receptionist, but she was dumped because she said she could operate a switchboard, but she couldn't. Wilfred School of Beauty grad Danny DeVito, his specialty was beehive hairdos. James Michener, a chestnut salesman. Popcorn seller Carol Burnett wanted her Hollywood Walk of Fame star to be placed exactly outside the door of the theater manager who once axed her. Jack Nicholson was a cinema usher, and he said, I used to watch people necking in the balcony. Then I'd point my flashlight at them to embarrass the hell out of them. Dennis Quaid. At Astro World Amusement Park, some kid kicked me. When I complained, I got laid off. And then I worked as a waiter in L.A. and got dumped. Why did he get dumped? Because he dropped sour cream on some lady, society lady's head. And we know that Brad Pitt dressed as a chicken for El Pollo fast food place at $8 an hour. So, when Russell Crowe added big-time weight, friends used to call him the gladi-eater. Britney Spears needed four stitches after a camera fell on her head while she was filming a video. Chloe Savigny, doing a love scene, you sometimes think how cold you are. It's not very romantic. John Bon Jovi, 
love scenes are filmed in a technical way. You have to apply your experience. And let's face it, I have had some practice over the years. Drew Barrymore. She is allergic to garlic, perfume, and coffee. Dermot Mulroney. Doing a love scene can be really weird. It's strange, but (laughs) what the hell, it's a pleasant way to spend the afternoon. Keanu Reeves, a crossword fanatic. Once Leif Tyler got a slinky for Christmas. She thought it was a bracelet. She wore it. DiCaprio, then 14, was dumped by his first love after one kiss. The dumper, whose name was Cecilia, has said, quote, It was just a short, dry peck, and it felt weird. Tom Cruise, on his Vanilla Sky film, where he was the only person walking around a completely empty Times Square. He said, you know, it really was not computer-generated. We had to shut down a total of 40 blocks. Bruce Willis, playing cards one long-ago Atlantic City night, he scooped up a thousand-buck payout. Then he set up a donut eating contest with the money. Scarfing down eight, the the winner was awarded $500. Angelina Jolie, as a baby, I had large lips, but not a large head. Now, if I have to kiss someone with a small mouth, it looks like I'm devouring them. Winona Ryder was trashed at Kenilworth High because in her old Salvation Army jacket, quote, I looked like a boy. Years later, one of those who hurt me and was nasty to me, and when I became a star, they wanted an autograph. I said to her, Go F yourself. Share. I had my nose, teeth, and breasts reshaped. I'm the plastic surgery poster girl. Everyone over 50 needs a little help. Judd Apatow, I started as a dishwasher in Long Island's East Side Comedy Club. They let me host a show. They paid $50. Then I got hired to write jokes for Tom Arnold's early Roseanne days. Nobody knew who he was in those days. Pete Davidson, my first job was a tiny part in Nick Cannon's movie School Dance. My character was named Stink Finger. He walked in the background. He smelled his fingers, and he looked at the camera, and Pete Davidson also smells as far as I'm concerned. Belle Powley, I was in Mr. High School, a children's TV show playing a child spy undercover with pencils and walkie-talkie in a government lair. I got bullied badly in school because of it. Marisa Tomei had a line in The Flamingo Kid with Matt Dillon, which was, oh, you're so drunk. When she auditioned, they said, I didn't have to take my top off. It was horrifying when I thought about it. Either my boobs didn't make it, or I was destined for something else, or they didn't like it. Okay, now I'm going to do an ending, 
And if you will pardon me for burbling half the time, I think my teeth are loose. We're going to talk about fishing. So the quiz here is name a bass hole, a gas hole, and a U.S. politician. That's all I'm going to say. And I will see you next week at the same time. Bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.